Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. And welcome you guys back. We are excited to have one of our past guests back onto the show. When we get to do this as a host, when I get to have someone on a second time, I always love it the second time because now we kind of know each other. We kind of had some interaction and stuff. And now I think this conversation is going to be even better than the first one. So we're going to have Homie G with us again. So welcome back to the show, Homie G. How's it going, everybody? It's your boy, Homie G, and I'm back. How's it going, Emily? Thank you for having me, man. That was my uh, YouTube intro. That's it. I mean, I love it. I love it. So those that don't know, this is Homie G, also known as Carlos Gomez. And Carlos is a pretty incredible guy. And I want Carlos to talk a little bit about himself. He's very, very humble, so he's not going to brag on himself. But anything that he leaves out, I'll make sure I catch it. So, Carlos, go ahead for the listeners that may not know who you are. Please tell them who you are. All right. Listen, I am an immigrant from Mexico, northern Mexico. Came here to the States with my mother and sister, early 80s. Went through the public education system. Had a rough going, growing up. You know, I had a father who was an alcoholic. He's not anymore. And we've since, obviously, reconciled. And now we're definitely more of a family than ever before. But that was some of the hardships I faced growing up was uh, living in a home where there was some violence. And so I went through that and I had some trauma, of course, from that experience in public school, Eastside San Jose. What can I say, you know, how to make it through that? So elementary was okay. As an immigrant, I thrust myself into the school system and learned English as soon as I could. So I had that going for me, that immigrant hustle that people talk about. Middle school was a wash. It was just a bad experience. I'm pretty sure it's a bad experience for everybody. But on my part, I just had to basically act up and become part of the crowd so as not to be bullied. We could just say it was a wash. And in high school, first year, bad habits. I was behind. I was placed in remedial classes. And I had to push myself, go through summer school, a couple of summers, catch up with my group, my class in terms of math. English. I had teachers that really believe in you and push you. And I had a great coach track and pushed me as well. That combination helped me become successful in high school, not to make it into the junior college track, San Jose City. I continued the momentum, working really hard, still participating in track to keep me focused. And then went to UC Santa Barbara, the transfer student, the era of affirmative action. And I had a chip on my shoulder because I always had to, you know, convince people there, certain people, <laughs> you know who I'm talking about, that I didn't get there because of affirmative action. I worked my butt off, you know, and I proved it to them. I I go in and I and I do really well in my science classes. I'm science. I was I majored in science, so I would just study and study and study and just spend most of my time doing that. Of course, I had some fun, you know. You see, sign up hard. I'm known as a party school, but then after that, uh. I'm lucky to have an internship my junior year, which involved me going into the few classes, into uh, schools, and getting paid for it, uh, working as an aide for a teacher. And you know what? That just 
brought out the best in me. And helping those teachers out with those uh, minority students in their classrooms in Santa Barbara really changed the, direct, the course of my life, the direction of my life. I decided to go into education and I stayed at UC Santa Barbara majoring in education and science education to be uh, exact and getting my master's in it and my credential. From that, I knew I had to continue to pay it back. So I went to San Jose, Eastside San Jose. I was a founder teacher in the second charter school that ever existed, high school charter school that ever existed in San Jose, basically sponsored by a community center called MAXA, which is Mexican American Community Services Agency. And the charter school's name was Academia Cameca. And it really was seeing students who were the ones that slipped through the cracks and weren't going to make it in the traditional comprehensive high schools in Eastside San Jose. So you can imagine they needed really strong teachers. And I was glad to be there. Spent about three years there, eventually moved on to comprehensive high school in Eastside San Jose, promoted, went back to school in San Jose State, got my master's in admin, became an administrator, school administrator. Did that for 10 years, servicing Southern California, two separate comprehensive high schools in Lake Elsinore and Vista. And throughout that time, just gaining more and more experience, learning about, I decided to, once I left admin, to really focus and dedicate my life to assisting and helping minority students. And on the basis of all the problems that I learned they had in those 10 years of experience dealing with them in my office with their parents, I decided to commit to writing books for them, a YouTube channel for them, and just basically help them in anything in life, anything, any problem whatsoever. I don't care what kind of problem they might think they have or have or really have. My life's work is dedicated to helping them persevere, be resilient, and be successful. And you've done that for some time now. You've been, like you said, you dedicated your life to it. And today's topic is going to be the success of four minority teens. And I think that's so important as things are changing in this landscape and things are changing in the world. Things are changing here in the United States very, very quickly. I mean, it was almost a year ago when you and I first started talking and it's a totally different place from now. Lots happened since then, right? A few things happened since then. A few things. That's the understatement of a lifetime. Yeah, right. there, my man. Oh, my goodness. Pandemic. End of, you know, 45s is a term. Yeah. Oh, man. It's just, uh, yes. And you're, you're, you fit on something that's really, really important that I think must become more apparent to our families. And that is success has been what it is, has been redefined, and the bar has moved. Within the last four years, it's no longer what we thought it was since last time we spoke. And so, just for example, uh, a couple of days ago, I was thinking, wow, you know, this group think that's happening. We have right now adults who are so easily swayed mentally and convinced of certain things. You know what? I said to myself, well, these people went through, went through four years of high school, right? Didn't they get four years of critical thinking? You know, the things that we as educators strive to the most to instill in our kids, those skills of critical thinking. Didn't they get that? And then we having people really throw their life and careers away for their flawed way of thinking. And it's really sad. And it's not just 
people of a certain personality, minority people too. We had storming the capital. We had people of Southeast descent. We had Latinos. We had African Americans there. And and this is this for everybody. I mean, I'm not just trying to be, you know, speaking for minorities here. This is for everybody. Everybody at that place, I think, was a high school graduate, right? I mean, you would think that most of them were high school graduates. So when I think about that, though, this part of that, and there was this documentary on Netflix, I forget what it's called. It's something about social media. So basically what it sums up to to me is you can create your own echo chamber in social media that only plays that kind of stuff that caters to those flawed ideas and groups all those people that have flawed ideas together so that now you have this echo chamber that's going to reproduce those same flawed ideas so that now you believe the lie. Right. But, but Emily, one thing is believing the lie, mm-hmm. being, yeah, well, being a part and immersed in it. Another part is taking action. Yeah. Taking action that throws everything you've worked for away. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had realtors there. We had bankers there. We had for people of faith there. We had police officers. We had people from the military. We had established professionals, probably leaders in their careers or in their fields. They are present, breaking the law. And to me, that just means that we need to ramp up what we're doing in education, in, or at least we need to redefine what we're doing. We have to have the conversation as educators. Is what are we going to focus on now, knowing that this is how our country has changed? And you know, one of the things I was thinking about is we probably should, as educators, uh, really consider including part of the high school requirement that students take a course in logic. And argumentation. So, so I took this class in junior college. I'm a science major, you know that. And as a science major, I had to take my undergrad classes. One of the electives I chose, this is in the 90s, late 90s, was logic, part of philosophy. But that class was so beneficial. And if you're listening right now to this, I would say for you, 2021, if you've never taken a class in logic, informal logical fallacies, for example, Buy yourself a book. Use that stimulus money. Buy yourself a book on informal, logical fallacies and learn about argumentation and how flawed, how incredibly flawed. So you can identify right away when someone is speaking to you or when you're reading something, the flaws in those arguments. Our man, 45, this go-to move is ad hominem. That's one of the fallacies. That's a mudslinging fallacy, right? You, you, you want to belittle your opponents instead of actually focusing on the issues. That was his go-to move. Well, it's a fallacy. It's dead on a fallacy. And anybody who had ever taken logic would see that that's the fallacy this man was employing, right and left, the slippery slope fallacy. You've probably seen on Facebook or on social media one of your friends saying, well, if we elect this person for president or for senator, then X, Y, and C is going to happen in the future. That's called the slippery slope fallacy. And it's used constantly constantly in arguments uh, by, with friends, with people that support. Even, I mean, I don't care which side of the political spectrum you happen to fall on. It's used all the time, right? And those are just a lot of arguments. But our students aren't learning this in school. They're learning critical thinking skills. Well, what does that really involve? That involves reading something, a text, and analyzing it. So I guess I would ask this, though, because most of the listeners are either going to be when they're hearing this, if I'm a parent and I'm listening to this, and I know we have parents that are listeners. If the school's not doing it, we don't have time to wait for 
the school to change things. As a parent, how can I help my child be more of a critical thinker? As a parent, because I'm of the thing that I think that the most important lessons that your kids are going to learn or that children are going to learn are the ones they learn at home, not at school. So let's have, how do we create an environment in our home? The last comment you just made assumes that the kids are getting this at home. That's not an assumption I make because I'm a teacher. I know better. So I know that if you come from a middle-class background, Mm -hmm. for the most part, you might well get these teachings at home, right? Mm -hmm. But as we go down that level of income, so to speak, Mm -hmm. some of these kids are not going to get these conversations. They're not going to be told to, hey, look at this person's claim and tell me what's wrong with it or tell me, do you see anything wrong with it? So I do, for example, in in my teachings, because I'm a science teacher, because California really does a good job of doing evidence-based science science education, and we start out with claims, right? Analyzing claims. So my first couple of weeks of school is all about looking at people's claims. I don't care whose claim it is, who's the powerful person or who's the politician or whatever, science person, whoever is making the claim. And then we go systematically through it and we analyze it for reliability, right? So we have to make sure that the claims are reliable, first and foremost, that they're evidence-based, they can be backed up. And then we go from there. We go from there. We go into more content. But at least I spend a little bit of time doing that with my students. And you might say, why the hell is all this important? What does it have to do with going to college and all of that? Well, listen, I think I set forth the point at the beginning of this conversation. What good is it if you can push your kid to college, get him through four years of college, your kid, get him into a career, but then they fall prey to what they're seeing on social media and you don't recognize that kid anymore. They go off and they go and storm the U.S. Capitol. Like, so it matters now. It really does matter that we spend time now working with our children, working with our kids. And it's like something new. Every single five years, there's, because of all this information, misinformation, things have changed. And yes, we all want to push kids to go to college by virtue of taking those academic classes in high school. It's no good if afterward they come out and they're still easily programmable, minds very malleable and easily swayed by information. So it is important. So that's why I say we need to change it up. We need to have another conversation nationally about what's important to teach in schools. And I don't think we're doing that enough. We're really not doing that enough as educators nationally. We're not. We're not spending the time doing that enough. So. I guess it's still trying to get that answer because there is some people that are going to have to have the ability to be creative and they have to learn how to do that. There has to be somewhere and it can come from contracts, but I don't think that creativity is only going to be there. I think creativity is organic. I think that different people can have different ways that they express their creativity or critically ability to critically think. I think one of the things that I've seen probably in action the most is when I've seen my friends that may not be written communication. But I've watched these guys be able to critically problem solve something like a problem on the fly. Let's say a motorcycle issue. We had something happen on the engine. And one of my friends, I think he may not even had his, regardless of if he graduated high school or not, I watched this guy solve problems in the midst of doing stuff. And that's an ability to critically think. So what I'm saying is there's multiple ways to exercise that ability to have critical thinking. And it doesn't always have to come in the confines of that. 
So what I'm saying is, is there ways for people that are listening to exercise their creativity and the itch that they may have that they're not getting at school? Yeah, I would say one of my other ideas I've had recently is Mm -hmm. because the way we instruct now, we're instructing now on Zoom, that's another problem we've had, right? We've Mm -hmm. had kids not gel to Zoom. I mean, some have thrived and some have not. And so if I were to tell parents who are worried or concerned, how do I get my kid thinking, at least pursuing knowledge, right, in some way, and exercising their brain, like you say, in their own way, give them a big idea. That's what I would say. What's a big idea? Let me give you an example of a big idea, okay? Let's say you get your kid interested in colonizing Mars. You say, hey, you know, this, this guy named Elon Musk, he wants to take 100 people at a time in the spaceship, and we're going to colonize Mars within the next 100 years. What are your thoughts on that? You know, maybe the kid is interested, that get that grabs the kid's attention. Where do you go from there? Okay, you go give them the book, The Martian. You let them read The Martian. Okay, where else do you go from there? Maybe you let them see that documentary that's on Netflix on Mars. Maybe they're visual, right? They're not going to read. So give them the Netflix documentary. Point being, point being, because I could go on about how many different ways you can get them to work on Mars, right? Point being is let them pursue something that interests them outside of the school day. It doesn't matter what it is, but make it big enough. Make your idea or proposal to them big enough until they're able on their own to come up with big ideas. Because it's natural instinct for you and I and any grown-up adult to get into a rabbit hole when we are interested in something, right? How many times, Emily, have you gone through a rabbit hole of information on Google or whether that be YouTube and you're just like, oh man, I'm so engrossed in this new thing that I just, right? That's how people learn. That's how people learn. And too much of school is structured. It has to be right now because we're on Zoom. So stuff is structured, my man. I mean, I have to literally take my kids through the lesson and through the assignment one problem at a time, because if I don't, they won't do it. They will literally not do it. So it's very structured right now. And a lot of the kids are just, they can't. They just can't. It's too structured for them, right? They hate Zoom. They want to go off on their own. Well, let them go off on their own, but give them an idea that they can get into and like you and I can engrossed it, you know? So that's what I would say to them is let them go forward and just give them big ideas to work on. You know, how would you do this? How would you do that? You know? What would you say about in relation to, because I feel like we talked about that would help them definitely be successful, but how would you translate that into finance? Like, how would you be able to take some of those ideas or teachings, if you will, principles, I don't know what you'd want to call them and apply those for success in teens, minority teens in finance? Well, it's all about the question you asked. Mm -hmm. Again, if the question is big and it embraces broad concept Mm -hmm. relating to finance, for example, this might not be broad enough, but let's just, I'm just kind of thinking here on the fly for your listeners. But mm-hmm. let's say you tell a kid, you know, of course, age matters, right? And this is not like, this is teens, right? So you might ask a teen, you know, you might tell a teen, you know, some people say a, ho- a house is an asset. Some people say a house is a liability. Where do you stand on this? So you first have to know what an asset is, right? Then they have to know what a liability is. Okay, in order for you to understand this question and to see where you can finally give me your opinion on it, you're going to have to first find out, let me give you these definitions or whatever, right? Or look up these definitions. And then you tell me, what do you think? Do you think a house is an asset or do you think a house is a liability? Mm -hmm. Where do you stand on that? Maybe that interests me, right? But again, it's all on the question that you ask 
or you ask them. I think those, gotta, I think those, those scenarios like that are probably the most beneficial I've seen in for conversations that I even have with my kids, you know, cause I'm a finance guy, right? The kids should just know everything. They just get it through osmosis. But it's funny because how do I bring up finance in the conversation with my own kids? And so my daughter has the stock. So we were talking about, you know, I was like, so what's your favorite brand? She's like Nike. And I was like, okay. So we went and looked at Nike stock and I was like, well, you see how much it costs? She's like, yeah. I was like, she's like, what does that mean? I was like, that's how much it costs for one share of Nike. You know, and so she was like, yeah, you know, this is okay. I see I want to share Nike. So she was telling me how much money she had saved up. And I was like, well, you know, you ready to buy a share of Nike? And she was like, I can own Nike. I was like, yeah. And so we started talking about what ownership means. And then she asked me, she's like, well, how many shares of stock do you have at your company? And then I explained to her what a private company was. And then after we talked about the private company, then I was like, you know what the IPO is? And she's like, well, no, what's an IPO? I was like, well, it's a private company. And then so this was the rabbit hole that I got to go down with my daughter when we asked the right questions, as he said. Exactly. But, and you know what else? We're also, I'm getting a lot of it with my own kids is in their gaming. They're playing Roblox in the Roblox game, which I love, by the way. I don't mind them doing that because they're talking to each other during the game. They're in each other's game. I guess you can be on the game together, you know, and they're talking about business. Believe it or not, on Roblox, you can get paid. You can be an employee. You can run a business, sell stuff. And we are learning so much about business from freaking Roblox. To me, that's great. So these natural conversations come about. They're asking me questions because of their gaming. So there is another way parents can get kids thinking about business and finance. And that's simply allowing them to play games that relate or at least have them in scenarios where they're business owners, where they're employees. And there's lots of that on the internet already. There's lots of sites where kids can run lemonade stands. You know, you can look for that online and, and see how that interests them. They may not be a roadblock, but they're different types of simulations right out there. So I would say for parents, definitely doing simulations that put them in real world applications where they can test their skill set on what they know and what they don't know. They're going to ask you. They're going to ask you naturally because you're their go-to, other than Google, you're their go-to search engine, right? That's what parents are. Mom, dad, what is this? You know, what does this mean? I don't know, man. Google might have us beat. Google might have us beat. <laughs> but they're lazy, bro. My kids are lazy. They don't even want to Google it. They're that lazy. Just like, just tell us. No, look it up. Yeah, right. So you can even talk to Google. You don't even have to, you know. So the last thing I wanted to bring up was about mental health. And we have been, like, as I think about this, you're talking about being an educator. All of us have been on the other side of that, right? We're the parents at home with the kids trying to make sure that they're doing stuff. But you're the educator on the other end trying to make sure that the kids are doing it. And with that and trying to maintain your mental and physical health during the pandemic, what, how have you been able to stay sane on that side? Oh, it's, it's not been easy, man. I don't know if I mentioned it before, but, you know, I suffer from depression and, uh, and anxiety. So I do take some medication. I tell my students that all the time. I'm very upfront with them. Mm-hmm. And they tell me back sometimes, you know, I'm taking melatonin for sleep and I'm taking this for my anxiety as well. And it's like mm-hmm. there's these conversations I'm not afraid to have with students. We've got to be sincere and mm-hmm. honest with them. And I tell them all the time how to cope with life right now. You know, things are going, things are hard for them. I mean, we've never had to deal with insurrection. We never had to deal with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. These kids can't just say, be tough. You know, parents say, just be tough. You know, we used to walk in the snow for 10 miles. Come on. I mean, come on, parents. 
It's not the same. It's totally not the same. Things have changed. Don't you dare say you had to deal with the pandemic because you didn't. You know, being inside your house, you know, learning with your parents gone because maybe they're working. You know, you never had to deal with that. Maybe you did, but it's not like the kids these days. So first of all, respect, right? But me personally, I've shown my students help. Number one, focus on your health. And so that means exercise. So what I've done is I've ramped up my gym's clothes. And it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me, honestly, the gym closing. I used to go going for hour fitness regularly. And let me tell you, after that place closed down because the pandemic, I've lost six or seven pounds by ramping up my cardio on my bike, on my cyclist, listening to music. I listen to music more for mood, to work on my mood on walks. I'm always listening to music. And so I kind of just ramped up my well-being, you know, my healthy mind, you know, my distraction. You can't focus on all the negativity out there because if you're thinking constantly you're going to get the Rona, what kind of life is that? Yeah. If you're thinking constantly something's going to happen, that's dying inside. So just focusing on distraction and things that you like to do. If you like to do something, this is the time to be obsessed about it. I mean, honestly, before it's like, why are you so obsessed about that? But now it's like, by all means, it's okay to be obsessed about your wanting to play guitar or your wanting to play piano or wanting to become an artist and paint. Now is the time to obsess. And that's okay because we need past the time somehow until we get that damn shot. Yeah, right. Man, Carlos, it's always a pleasure talking to you. And as you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast where we are changing the complexion of wealth. And you can't answer the same way you answered the questions last time. I know you answered these questions before, but you get to answer them again, but you can't answer the same. And anyhow, just want to throw that out there. I'll try. I don't don't remember. Okay, so good. If it's the same, I'm just going to hit you with the "Er, er," like, you know, like if you answered the question wrong on a game show, "Er, er," something like that. Okay. So uh, we're going to go ahead and go with the first. I'm playing with you, Carlos. <laughs> Answer whatever you feel. What motivates you and inspires you to learn and grow? So I think, did I answer death? Is that one of my mentions last time, death? Uh-uh. No, I don't, I don't remember. I'm dismissed. You don't remember? Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> you know, I saw Gary V. I follow Gary V on Instagram and I saw one of his pictures. Um, he was holding up, a, I think, a letter that said, or just a piece of paper that said, you've got one life. What are you going to do about it? Right? And, and, and dead on. I mean, that's what motivates me is I want to leave behind. I don't want to die in obscurity. Maybe that's what it is. I don't have delusions with Randy or anything. I don't want to be some super famous person or anything like that. I just want to leave something behind of me. I don't care if it's just my kids eventually that end up getting it, getting whatever it is through my words. They pick up on my life from what I wrote in my books or from just recording videos, they see videos when I'm dead, you know, doing a funny TV video, but, but that really is, I don't know, I mean, I've come to a point where it frightens me to, I mean, I guess because I'm middle-aged, you know, where I'm hitting that I am middle-aged, and so, you know, I'm, I'm at a point where now it's like, wow, what am I going to be about? What do I want people to say about me when I'm gone, you know, and that's what motivates me the most right now, the fear of dying in obscurity and not having made any sort of impact in my life. That's the honest answer, bro. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it. That's all we want. We want you to keep it 100. Do you think education plays a big part in wealth building? Absolutely. You know, and I, before I even have a chapter in my book where I go, you know, you're right. Your school does suck. And that's not necessarily a dig on schools. 
but rather me, me, me feeling like sometimes schools don't evaluate talent well enough, like grades are so subjective, right? So I don't feel like school do, does the best to, to prepare you for your own readiness for, in terms of how ready you are for college. You might think you are because you're in, you're in a bubble, like you said earlier, you know, a school is a bubble. But when you go out to the real world, you get into college and stuff like that, it's totally different. You're competing now against the smartest of the smarts. But you know what? More and more now, I am firmly convinced that the pathway to success is education. You have to go to college because one out of 10 might become a Zuckerberg or a Elon Musk by dropping out. I don't know if Elon dropped out of college. I know some did or whatever Zuckerberg did. But you're hearing a lot of people right now, a lot of fake gurus out there just chiming on and bagging on school and education and college and saying it's for losers. So you better drop out. Don't do that. Don't drop out. Stick with the number one way of building wealth and building success in life. And that is education, getting your college degree. Of course, don't go waste your time and major in something that's not going to be productive and helping you get a good high paying career. Don't do that. That's just you getting in debt. Obviously, weigh the pros and cons, but I still think number one way to become successful in life, the number one pathway is education. If you could offer one piece of advice for our listeners, what would that be? Don't feel like because you are not getting rich or wealthy in one, two, three, four, five years, that you are not smart, that you are not clever. I think there's a big stigma with wealth creation and how quickly people become wealthy in life. And that's because we see the superstars, right? But, you know, it's like, I'll put it into a basketball analogy. We know Kobe was great. We know LeBron is great. We see them on the court and we see them doing great things. And we marvel at that. But what we don't see is them putting in hours upon hours, 10,000 hours. Ha, ah, funny. They probably got more like 20,000 hours shooting those J's, right? And so what I would say to people is take your time to become wealthy. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with you turning out day in and day out, a life for yourself, slowly investing, making some money. Little by little until you amass a fortune. There's nothing wrong with you doing that in 30 years, 40 years. I don't care. Just continue the course and don't feel bad about yourself for, for not doing it any faster. So that's what I would just say to people. You know, just be patient with yourself for what you're doing. Stick the course, stay with it, don't give up and persevere. Absolutely. That's 100%. I believe that. I am the first 20 year overnight success. So it took me 20 years overnight to get here. (laughs) The magic is in that. The magic is in figuring that out. The 20. Yeah. Like I'm saying, you might become a millionaire someday and that's okay. If you become a millionaire at 55, so what? Mm -hmm. You still became a millionaire, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if you become one at 65, 75, just become a millionaire at some point. You know, nobody's going to think any less of you for not doing it in your 20s like these superstar dude not diminishing what they've done but you don't have to be that you know yeah you can live a good life and you don't need to be trying to be a superstar like that you just live a good life stay ethical never take shortcuts okay to people listening out there do not take any shortcuts do not compromise your integrity never compromise your integrity or your ethics in pursuit of wealth the end got my <laughs> <laughs> he said i'm done now i'm done if the listeners want to get some more homie g what Social medias are you active on? I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. 
And I'm on YouTube, Tiki Homie G. And of course, What's I'm on Twitter Amazon. Handle at C Ozba Gomez. I know it's going to be hard, bro. Just can you just share it on the bottom of your? Yeah, we'll put it on there. We'll put it on. And yeah, then what about on? What about Instagram on, uh... at C Osvaldo Gomez? Okay. I'm on Google too at C Osvaldo Gomez. That's my pen name. C for Carlos. Osvaldo is my middle name in Gomez. But yeah. Yeah, we'll put all the links to that in the show notes. We'll put the links to the books there too. We'll put all those links in there again. But homie G, it was great having you again, man. We we want to thank you. It's always a pleasure to be here with your listeners and with you, Emlyn. Great questions. It's always great podcast. My man, keep it up. Looking forward to hearing more of you. Thank you, man. Thank you. We appreciate your support. And as you all know, until next time, we are changing the complexion of wealth. Another great showdown. But it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now. And give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know. That really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here. And until next time, 